sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. And good afternoon. Welcome in. It is Fantasy Sports Today with you here on Sports Grid, covering it all from a wagering perspective, fantasy perspective, and of course, a reality perspective as well. And what a reality we saw in Major League Baseball last night as we saw the first no-hitter of the 2020 Major League Baseball season. You would probably call it a surreal no-hitter, given the fact that there were no fans in attendance. You would also call it a surreal no-hitter because one of the players in the White Sox looks like he got hurt during the celebration. But a lot of that to get to and more, of course, in the NBA and a little soccer news as well. And Joe Pizapia, my co-host here with me for the next two hours, talking about it all. Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon, Mr. Mish. And yeah, it was. it's hard to socially distance after a no-hitter. I mean, that's an exciting moment. I think the adrenaline kind of takes over there. Uh, great for Lucas Giolito. I'm a big fan of his uh, going into the season and season-long fantasy. Uh, I was drafting him everywhere as a fantasy ace, even though he really hasn't gotten to that level quite yet. I think last year was right on the precipice of it. And the first couple starts had not been good. So there was a little bit of concern, a little bit of worry, a little bit of doubt creeping in. But the last few starts have been great. And yeah, it was only against the Pirates yesterday. But as you pointed out yesterday on the show, the Pirates had been streaking and playing better baseball. So he went out there yesterday and just threw a gem, and it was great to see. And a great moment for baseball. Can we call this the pandemic era, or is that not the right verbiage? Like, what era is this right now? I don't know what we are. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. Yeah, I think it's the no fan era, the no touching era, um, a lot of the that era. You can call it whatever you want. It's 2020. You could probably get away with it for sure. All right, let's take a look at the headlines for today here on Fantasy Sports Today. And, of course, the lead is the no-hitter fantasy reality uh, it was joe's dfs pick yesterday so certainly we'll talk about that later in the show and uh if you had giolito in a dfs lineup and you didn't make money you did something very very wrong yesterday whether it was a dollar or ten thousand either way that was uh the, one of the highlights of the dfs season for sure uh zach Plesak is out of the cleveland indians rotation uh, Terry Francona said that there's no room for him. You have to wonder what his future is in Cleveland. Maybe they'll have to move another piece to get him back in that rotation. They did bring Clevenger back, but not Zach Plesak. Lionel Messi, which is a huge story across the world, not as big, of course, in the United States, but as soccer does become more popular here in the States, and it has for years, he's going to be leaving Barcelona. So this will be more of a reality story than fantasy, but one that we wanted to mention here at the top. Uh, Giannis is the NBA's uh, most valuable player, also defensive player of the year. That will be announced shortly. He's the fifth player in NBA history to end up doing that. We'll talk about the NBA in a little bit. we got a couple of serious clinchers potentially tonight. Nuggets force game six against the Jazz. Has anybody improved more than Jamal Murray? I'm not sure. This guy has been on fire since the bubble has started back up. Denver is giving Utah the series that they did not want, and we are here at this point with them. And also, Butta Baker becomes the highest-paid safety in uh, NFL history, and I don't think that a lot of people saw this coming. A lot of people don't have awareness of a lot of the players on defense in the NFL because pay so much attention to the offense, but he's a key player, of course, and uh, got paid like it again yesterday. Uh, but before we take any step further, let's hear from Lucas Giolito who ended up throwing Major League Baseball's first no-hitter in 2020. And unlike some other pitchers who basically don't know a no-hitter is happening, Giolito knew very early on his stuff was playing and thought toward the end of the game he really had a shot. 
I knew it was working after the first inning. Nice one, two, three inning. Um, and then it just kept building and building. Uh, after the sixth inning is when I really started to like notice what was going on. And then after the seventh, <clears throat> I, it, it was like, I got six outs left. We're going to make this happen. I looked at who was coming up and I was like, this is uh, very much within the realm of possibility. So I just need to continue to stick with my game plan and we'll make it happen. And Joe Giolito did make it happen. It's the first uh, White Sox to uh, hitter to perform or pitcher to perform this since Philip Humber, and I remember that very well because I was on the air at the time it was happening. Uh, Humber's career certainly did not have the trajectory that we would expect Giolito's to, and I certainly don't want to overreact to one start because, as you mentioned earlier, the starts have looked much better lately. Giolito did get off to the tough start, but there is no doubt that if the White Sox are going anywhere in 2020. He is going to have to be a big reason why, because he is fronting this White Sox rotation this year. Yeah, absolutely, Craig. And as we welcome in our radio audience here to Fantasy Sports today on Sports Grid, Lucas Giolito is definitely the story. And look, last year was the breakout year for him. 200-plus strikeouts for Giolito. The ERA was great. Look, basically, he was outstanding with a small exception of a very tiny sample size in the mid to late summer there where he started to drag a little bit. But that happens to everybody. That's baseball. And then he recovered very nicely from it. If he can be the ace of this White Sox rotation going forward again, that is huge. Keiko is going to be good enough to win you games. Can Dylan Cease, can somebody else step up there in the void? Or maybe there's somebody out there for them to acquire this week and really make this push. Because having that true number one in a rotation for a lineup that's as good as the White Sox is huge. And let's not forget, too, Lucas Giolito's path has been a tricky one. Yes, he was a very highly rated prospect coming out of high school, but he had Tommy John. I think he was 17 years old, Craig, if memory serves, when he had Tommy John. Uh, this is a guy that, you know, people said, oh, I don't know if it's going to work out. He's drafted by the Nationals. Didn't really work out right away. Then he was part of that Adam Eaton trade, and people said, wow, is the stock really that low on Giolito? They're going to trade him for Adam Eaton, who is a nice player, but certainly not the level of, oh, my goodness, our number one pick, Lucas Giolito, just two years earlier. And it took him a little while to get going in that White Sox organization, but he has. And this has been a great example of, a, you know, just patience. Patience from an organization that's showing, hey, we believe in this kid. We believe in the talent. Let's let him develop. And you know what? Great here. And this this is the reward for all of that. It's great to see him have that moment last night. Yeah, he did. his career has really come full circle because that first year that he had in uh, Washington did not look good. And even in, in Chicago didn't look all that good. But he completely uh, has turned this around. There's no doubt that he has become one of the top pitchers in the American League for sure. All right, coming up next, it's time for us to go over the fantasy standouts in Major League Baseball and check in on the stolen base leaders as well. We'll be right back here on Sports Grid on Fantasy Sports today. Stay with us. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. It's Fantasy Sports Today with you here on Sports Grid. we got some fantasy football discussion coming up. For those of you who are tuned into that, don't worry. we got you covered all the way from now up until opening night on September the 10th. Thursday's coming up two weeks from tomorrow. But for now, we head back to fantasy baseball because that is the sport playing out right now, both in DFS and season long. And we check in on our fantasy standouts from Tuesday night. And Lucas Giolito, of course, headlines the list. Nine innings pitched. No hitter, 13 strikeouts, one walk. He picks up the win. Great job by him. J.P. Crawford of Seattle's had a nice year, too. How about this guy? A home run, two mm -hmm. more hits, three RBIs, two runs. All of a sudden, 
he looks like the player that we thought he would be in Philadelphia is playing it out in Seattle. In terms of hotness at the plate, nobody better than Brandon Belt. He's been on base six straight times. He went four for five yesterday, four hits, a walk, five RBIs, two runs. The Giants are on fire, and it seems like they are just streaking all over the place. They win six in a row. They lose six in a row. They win six in a row again. Strange team this year for sure. Uh, another team, by the way, probably not going to be a seller at the deadline too. Uh, Shane Bieber, uh, what, what a fantastic season this guy's having. Just when you think someone is creeping up to maybe challenge him for the Cy Young, he goes out, strikes out 10 more batters, and picks up another win. He is 6-0. and is there a chance we'll see a, a pitcher go 12-0 and or 13-0 and this year? Bieber's mm. on that pace for sure. He doesn't look like he's going to lose. Tyler Glasnow, we've been waiting for this too. 13 strikeouts, 7 innings pitch, 2 earned runs. Reason to be optimistic. I don't know if it's a reason to be excited because this is clearly the only really good start he's had all year, but we got to throw him in the list here because he had a great night last night. And then uh, finally, I wanted to touch on this one too. Uh, John Birdie of the Miami Marlins in the last inning, which was the seventh inning against the Mets, walked, stole second, stole third, and ended up stealing home plate as well, uh, essentially on the catcher of the New York Mets. And this was no double stealing or anything like that. He literally stole second, Mm -hmm. third, and home. And uh, before we get to the fantasy standouts, uh, last night after the game, uh, John Birdie spoke to the media. I ended up asking him a couple of questions about something that's only been done 50 times in the history of Major League Baseball consecutively. Um, Never really thought of it that way, honestly. Um, Just kind of leading off with the walk and kind of knowing the situation. uh, Took a chance uh, right away to to get in scoring position, just being up by two and knowing that every run counts. And if we can add a a third, it'd be uh, that much more important. And so uh, stole second and then, you know, kind of made eye contact with Trey a couple pitches in and um, thought it might be a good time to go after uh, third base. And then um, that last one there was just just a thought that came up on, on the moment. I've always kind of wanted to do it or, or thought of doing something uh, something like that. And uh, fortunately, um, it worked out. As a, as a follow-up, I know it's been real quick since the game ended. Have you seen it yet? Have you seen yourself steal home yet? Have you watched it? <laughs> I did. I did. And I, I honestly didn't realize how far I did bear crawl. Um, but uh, it, it turned out well, so it's all good. <laughs> Yeah, Joe, a very strange way to steal home, falling down on the ground and, and crawling all the way to home plate. But uh, that that's a rare feat, man. Like stealing stealing three bases oh, yeah. in the same inning consecutively, I, I thought that had to be brought out today. I, I haven't oh, seen that before. 100%. And, of course, it's embarrassing against uh, my New York Mets, but I'm used to that as are Chris and uh, Brett, our producers. We're just used to that. We're conditioned to it. But a very cool thing, nonetheless. At 50 times, it's, you would think it would be more because of what the style of baseball used to be, you know, more closer to the turn of the century than to what we have baseball of now. But, um, you know, Birdie was a player that, that kind of popped up on radars last year, too, especially in those roto formats where people said, hey, look at this guy for the Angels. He's doing some things here, stealing some bases. And look, uh, this is a huge day for him. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and uh, a great moment for him. It was It was a great moment for uh, baseball yesterday to have a no-hitter, to have this kind of thing happen to with John Birdie, to have these these fun little historic moments because in a in a shortened season, you would imagine you're just going to have less opportunities to have them. So to have two things like this on one night is very cool. Yeah, and, and by the way, in, in talking to people uh, after the game on the Marlins side, first of all, I'll give them credit for accomplishing this, but I was made pretty clear that the catcher for the Mets did a very poor job paying attention. 
by the way, on some of this stuff. Uh, not, not, and by the way, a catcher that's not even supposed to be playing because Tomas Nito went on the injured exactly. list. Exactly. <laughs> uh, right. Not, not, not good making your, your debut basically with the Mets and not even watching what's going on. Um, poor job. Poor job. Well, good on Mattingly um, for oh. being aware of that too and giving him the green light. I mean, that's what I mean. You know, people want to degrade the stolen base in baseball, Craig, but at the same time, I mean, you have to look at the matchups here. And if you have a guy as fast as Birdie who can steal bases and you have a catcher who's green, who's up and he shouldn't be up. You take advantage of that. You pound on it, and he did. Good on them. Yeah, but but on, on the flip side, Joe, you would think if you're getting your Major League Baseball opportunity to catch that you wouldn't have gotten ever and may not have played, that you would be, like, super hyper-focused <laughs> to make sure so that you, would you think, stay. But sometimes the, the moment is overwhelming, and when one thing doesn't go right, all of a sudden the confidence gets shaken, too. You're not wrong. But, I mean, it doesn't work out that way for everybody. And well, sometimes guys uh, and this guy's going to have a hard time crazy. staying up. Yeah, this guy's going to have a hard time. I don't know a lot about this this backup catcher that they have. He's going to have a hard time. Uh, speaking of which, let's take a look at the stolen base leaders for 2020 because with Birdie's three steals, this guy moves into second place. you kidding me in Major League Baseball? Jonathan VR and, and, and John Birdie both are at the top. Nine steals for VR, eight steals for Birdie. VR's situation a little bit different. He's been caught a few times, so if you're playing with net steals – in a fantasy league, he's not as valuable as Birdie or even Jose Ramirez, who all of a sudden stole five bases in the last week. Trevor Story, again, is up there. And then really the, the hottest base dealer lately also has been Alberto Mondesi, who's uh, up to seven now on the season. So I, I think the projections from the beginning of the season are, are pretty much on, on the FanDuel Sportsbook. I think the number was like 18, 19, 20, around there. And, and we're almost halfway through. So uh, still in question as to whether or not someone's going to hit that number, but steals, once again, Joe, are proven outside of Miami, I guess, are proven to be down pretty much across the league again. Yeah, they are. Um, and I think it's a shame because I think some teams would be better off being more aggressive because it's their best chance to score runs. A team like the Marlins that has guys like Birdie and VR, look, make everybody make the plays. Make the catchers throw guys out. Make the infielders catch the ball. Make You know, when you force the other team to play defense, especially nowadays, fundamentals are not quite as good as they used to be in Major League Baseball. I find a lot of guys get through on athleticism more than fundamentals. And I'm telling you right now, I think some teams would be better off being a little bit more aggressive on the base pass. So I would like to see that. And obviously Trevor Story on this list, too, when you're talking about guys with power and speed. Man, I mean, how good has Trevor Story been? And he's been locked in this week. And I know we're going to talk about him a little bit more. Uh, Craig, if I may, for a second too, go back to one of our other guys that we were just mm -hmm. talking about on this stud list is Tyler Glass. Now, this was a huge start for him. But the last start against the Yankees was pretty good, too. Over his last 12 innings, the guy has 21 strikeouts. So all of a sudden, we're talking about maybe Glass now is kind of ticking up. Now, the Yankees start, he didn't go six innings. He only went five and two-thirds. But still, is this the turnaround here for Glass now where he picks things up and becomes the guy that he was last year that everybody was so excited about? Because it's starting to feel like that is the case and maybe just took him a little longer than some other guys. Yeah, I, I hope so for his sake because, and really for Tampa's sake. Because when you think about it, Joe, uh, look, Charlie Morton is supposed to be either their best or second best pitcher, and he's out. Nick Anderson is supposed to either be their best reliever or second best reliever, and he's out. They need, mm -hmm. and Drake, who started off well, went on the injured list. So they need starting pitching. They need relief pitching. And the Rays have made a habit of acquiring these guys at the deadline. Maybe that's still what they'll do coming up on uh, on Monday. But I, I think now is probably the most important piece for them to take that next step. If they're going to win the world series, if they're going to win the American league pennant, they're absolutely going to need him to become the de facto ace or be the bona fide second starter 
on the Rays. And, and to this point, Joe, it has not been consistent enough. Now, you're right. The last two starts have been good. But I don't know. Will the shoe drop on him? Uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard for me yeah. to say. I, I'm, well, I'm I'm hesitant to go all in on anyone without a strong track record because very similar. Uh, I mean, and, and I know that Bundy had some bad luck his last start out, but even Dylan Bundy has not looked that great the last two times he started. Ever since that, I said, okay, finally, I'm in on the guy. He went the other way. So uh, I think last time better than Bundy, but I'm I'm hesitant to go that far. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Uh, I think when you're looking at uh, Glasnow, I think you, you, here's the thing. Uh, it's always been control with this guy, his efficiency. That was what hung him up in Pittsburgh for so many years in that system of can he get over that hump? And then last year he started to. Uh, the bad news is that now that he is on this roll, this price is going to go up. But yesterday he was right tempting. I think it was in the 8 to 9K range on FanDuel. After that start last night, forget it. It's going to go through the roof now, and now you have to pay for that risk, and I think that becomes a little bit dicier, and I think you got to really pay attention to the slate and whether or not you can use him or not. All right, we got updates coming up next on Le'Veon Bell. Also, the Indiana Pacers make a coaching move. Plenty more to come here on Fantasy Sports today right after Chris's update and the tip drill. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Damian Lillard is out this evening, which deals a potentially fatal blow to my prediction. The prediction was on life support anyway. There were no eyes between last time in game four where Portland was facing the Lakers. At no point did I receive the emoji eyes. Just this, which makes sense. Tonight, the Blazers will have to do it without Damian Lillard, and you know that that knee has to be pretty severe if he's missing uh, this potential elimination game for the Blazers. How is Portland going to make it up? Well, we're about to find out. At the point guard spot tonight, you're going with the obvious value on the boards. Anthony Simons, he's $3,500 tonight. That is the bare minimum, and the playing time is expected to increase exponentially without Damian Lillard in the lineup. This is an easy choice for really every player. I expect him to be 80 to 90% owned on tonight's slate. Point guard's a very tricky position this evening. It just doesn't have a lot of upside across the board. So anytime you get a minimum price player who where you're expecting him to play probably 30 minutes per game, it's just an easy decision. Even if he doesn't get the start, he's clearly going to hit value. A minimum price player whose minutes are obviously increasing, his usage is increasing. It's a must start tonight. Like you said, he's going to be 80 to 90% owned, but it doesn't matter. Cash games, tournaments, I don't know how you go in there without Anthony Simons. Just like I don't know how you go in there without CJ McCollum, right? Without Damian Lillard, it's going to be McCollum picking up the slack in a major way. He's priced at $7,200 tonight. He's going to be the primary scorer. I imagine the primary ball handler. Ball's going to be in his hands all night long, and he's going to have to dominate if Portland has any chance of sending this game or sending this series to game six. CJ McCollum, another must start tonight. For his price, I think he has more upside than James Harden for all of the reasons you just mentioned. His usage rate is going to go through the roof. In addition to that, as he's going to be their primary scorer, at least from a shooting position, unless we see, you know, old school Mello putting up 40 shots in this one. So 
Look, he's got a very high floor and an even higher ceiling, and he's got to carry the team if they want to win this game. With Anthony Simons at 3,500, you do wonder if there's a way to get McCollum and Harden in the lineup tonight. It'll be tricky, uh, but it might be doable with that bare minimum price, Anthony Simons in there. But CJ McCollum, the obvious play here at 7,200. You mentioned Carmelo Anthony. I thought that was an obvious small forward play. You're going in a different direction, or at least talking about a, a different player, and, and that's Giannis. He's priced... Uh, Quite high tonight, of course, 11300 The only player priced higher is James Harden tonight. I don't know that you can go Giannis and Harden, but you've chosen Giannis over James Harden tonight. How come? I think Giannis is far more consistent performer than James Harden. Even though his minutes are restricted, this is a must-win game for Orlando. Giannis has been just absolutely dominant in the first two quarters, so I'm really looking for him just to hit value. You could punt and go with Carmelo Anthony. I think that that'll be a very chalky play. I think it's a must play in a GPP situation and you could get the old school game where he just takes 40 shots. So look, Melo's great for cash games. I mean, tournaments, but I would much rather have Giannis in a stable cash lineup. Of course, Giannis and Tedekubo priced way higher than Carmelo Anthony. 11300 for Giannis. Carmelo Anthony just $5,400 tonight. On FanDuel, you need two small forwards anyway. You can go with both of them. Super chalky, but tonight it, it kind of makes sense with what we uh, have out there available to us. In cash games, going that direction um, is something I would certainly do. Giannis tonight is an Orlando team, as you mentioned, completely desperate to survive and move on to the next game. We'll see if it happens. The only series that is 2-2 is between Oklahoma City and Houston. That's what we get to next. You go to the boy Robert Covington, who's priced at $5,700 tonight. That's the first piece that we're getting to here with the Rockets. Why go Covington over any of the other players? This is a position that I absolutely hate tonight. Um, last time we talked about Anthony Davis, and he got off to a great start, and obviously he was pulled from the game. And even though he's a game time decision and he's likely going to play this evening, I just don't trust the Lakers minutes. If it does get into a blowout situation, he's obviously going to sit. So I'm going with a player here that I think is primed to hit value. He's someone who's going to play about 35 minutes and scores about one fan to a point per minute. So it's an easy decision from here. Yeah, I think if you look at the power of forwards tonight, it, it is obvious. Because Anthony Davis, 11,100, without Damian Lillard, that game could get out of hand relatively quickly. Aaron Gordon, a game-time decision. And then you get Robert Covington. He's $5,700 tonight. He's the third most expensive power forward on the board. And he's probably the safest. And under $6,000, the value is going to be there. Covington, uh, you're right, the obvious call on tonight's slate. Last position, it's the center spot. And as you were saying earlier, Orlando is desperate. And if they're going to survive, they're going to make it to the next game. They're going to need a monster outing from Nikola Vucevic. Vuce is your man at $8,600 tonight. Uh, take it on Milwaukee at the center spot. He's a play that I absolutely love, and I have the most confidence in, to be quite honest with you. He's been a centerpiece of their offense, and if he, if they're going to win tonight, they need to get the ball to him. A lot of stuff is going to run through him. He's probably going to play much higher minutes than he typically would because this is a little bit of narrative strategy and a little bit of analytics mixed together where it's a must-win game. And... I think that he's probably going to play somewhere in the 38 to 40 minute range, which is a lot for a big man. But if he gets there, he should have an absolutely enormous ceiling. 
We wrap up. Let me throw this back to you. You talk about ceiling and desperation. Yusuf Nurkic also desperate for the Blazers tonight. There is no uh, Damian Lillard. We talked about Melo uh, chucking 40 shots. CJ McCollum carrying this team. Was there any thought with going with Nurkic over Vooch? There was a little bit, but to be perfectly honest with you, they have been very good at shutting him down. So I just don't really see it there. And look, you don't know what's going to happen here. Obviously, if they continue to play defense the way that they've been playing, he could be in foul trouble relatively early. And I think that that's actually what they have to do if they want to be competitive in this game. And Portland really is going to have to rely on the outside shot to beat this Lakers team. Portland needing CJ McCollum and Carmelo Anthony to hit their shots. Orlando, that offense runs through Nikola Vucevic. He's the option for Jeremy tonight at center. There you have it. Those are the picks that are going to win you money over on FanDuel. We appreciate the time, Jeremy. Good luck tonight. Thank you. All right. Enjoy the games. Three playoff games tonight. We could have two series end. We'll see what happens. For Jeremy Stein, I'm Greg Sausman. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you back here tomorrow for another edition of the NBA Tip Trail. All right, thanks again, Greg and Jeremy and Chris for the update there. Very deflating to not have Dame Lillard in the game tonight for Portland. I got to say, I was looking forward to the Blazers fighting with the Lakers there for uh, a few games, but uh, we did a fantasy of reality, and it's so funny the way that sports works when we talked about, will the Blazers uh, take the Lakers deeper than five games? Uh, after after the Blazers won one, I was like, wow, I'm going to be dead wrong about this one. <laughs> and uh, and the Lakers are going to end up there. I mean, the Blazers have almost no shot to win. They have a shot to cover. I mean, this is the biggest spread, I think, Brett, if I'm not mistaken, of any game I've seen so far since the NBA has been back out there except for the regular season. But this is the biggest one in the playoffs. I think it's 14, 14 and a half. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm upset by that because Lillard, to me, is one of my fav- favorite players playing in the NBA oh, right yeah. now. And unless Carmelo Anthony goes back to what he was 15 years ago, they're not going to win tonight. Um, okay, let's uh, let's touch on a couple of quick notes in the NFL uh, before we get to some smoke or fire here, Joe. Uh, it looks like Le'Veon Bell's having some uh, lower leg issues, and certainly they're not going to be very specific about what's going on with him, but that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on here before we get to uh, smoke or fire today. Yeah, well, he's saying his legs are fine. Some people are speculating that he wasn't getting the reps that he wanted in practice. Uh, All I know is that the Adam Gase, Le'Veon Bell drama is going to continue. And I still think Le'Veon Bell from a volume play is a really good low end, you know, RB2 if you have a really good RB to begin with. But this relationship is clearly not going to work out. Uh, We'll just see what happens. Yeah, no, it's tough to say because, again, he's the most talented back they have. I can't imagine him not getting 20 touches a game, but strange things happen. The most talented offensive player they have. Not even back. Yeah, it's not close. Player, period. I think the receiver they drafted is going to end up being good, but yeah, I, I, I for right now, good, there's, there's, there's a rookie. No, yeah, there's no doubt. No, it's no, you can't argue that. You can't argue that. All right, uh, let, let's go over to smoke or fire for today. Here's some of the things that are being said around training camp. We can't see it. We can't watch it. We can't hear about it. So we got to go off the reporters, which is dangerous. So here we go. Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, this is practice scripted from start to finish. Maybe this is two days of getting timing down with Edwards Hilaire, but I doubt it's just that. I say he'll be a stud. Prime candidate for Offensive Rookie of the Year, says Peter King. Uh, Joe, I know 
that initially with you that you felt that he was going a little too high for you. You're not afraid to change your opinion. Are you changing your opinion at all on that, or are you going to stick to that? I'm just wondering. Well, look, this is fire, but at the same time, it's a it's a calculated fire. I had someone ask me just this morning. They said, hey, I've got the fifth overall pick in my most important league that I have the most cash involved in. Would you take Clyde Edwards-Alaire over Dalvin Cook, Mixon, Henry, these guys? And I said, honestly, I would not. And it's not a detriment or a knock on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I think he's great. I was so excited when he got drafted with the Chiefs. But I think I like him so much more in that late first round than I do in the middle because you know what Dalvin Cook is. You know what Joe Mixon is. You know what Derrick Henry is. And I think you want to solidify that in your lineups. And that's very important that you do. And that is where I struggle. It's it's love of the player, but love of the player in his place. And if you put him all the way up to number five or six overall, man, he has to be that guy right away. And I think that's a lot of pressure to put on your fantasy team. Whereas if you're taking him eight, nine, ten, you can back it up with somebody really good and you mitigate that risk a little bit, Craig. So, okay, so you've changed a little bit. You moved him up a little then since then. Right? I have. I've moved him up into the first round, uh, the late first round. That's where I have him right oh, okay. now. That's so, all right. So, yeah, so I, I think that that's where I see it now, too. And I probably would not take him at five, but I got to tell you, I, I have, I'm being influenced. This is, this is probably all smoke. <laughs> But I, but I am being influenced from from some of the reports on him. I have to be honest. I am. Um, you should. You should be influenced by Andrew. I'm trying to win a league. Yeah. Okay, we'll uh, be right back with more fantasy sports today. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. Fantasy Sports Today with you here on Sports Grid. Craig Miss, Joe Pizzapia. We got you every day here live from noon to 2 Eastern, however you are watching our show. Thank you so much for doing it. We got Scott Farrell coming up a little bit later on here on Sports Grid and SportsGrid.com, talking plenty of baseball, hockey, and, of course, basketball as well. Some key games tonight in the NBA. We'll get to that in just a minute. Before we do that, let's get back to some fantasy football discussion and talk about some players that potentially are underrated in the mind of Joe Pizzapia, and as I take a look at this and some of the players we're going to discuss today, I think we have some agreements and some dis- disagreements. So let's get oh, right to it, Joe. Who you gonna got? Who you got at uh, underrated as your quarterback going into the season? Disagreements, you and I, never, never. We are always have on the some. same page. <laughs> well, look, the quarterback that I'm going to go with is going at QB 10 overall, and uh, he's still a QB one, but I think he deserves a little bit more respect. I think Carson Wentz is getting a bad knock because he left at the end of the year with a concussion and people say, Oh, he's injury prone. It's the NFL. Anybody can get a concussion any week. And he was hurt a couple years ago. And before he got hurt and blew out that ACL, my goodness, everybody was falling over themselves to get Carson Wentz. And of all the QB ones, only one of them had a touchdown in every single game last year. And his name is Carson Wentz. So in terms of high floor, in terms of consistency, in terms of also adding a piece of Jalen Rhaegar, Adding in Miles Sanders in uh, into this offense last year did wonders for him, too. They have Goddard. They have Zach Ertz. They have more at their disposal now. And Carson Wentz is another year deeper into this league. And when you look at the numbers there, you know he's going to throw for 4,000 yards. I think that's a lock. The 27 touchdowns, just seven picks. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Is he as prolific a passer as, a you know, what you had out of Patrick Mahomes? No, of course not. But I'll tell you what. In terms of name brand recognition and value, I've seen people put Aaron Rodgers over him. And I'll tell you what, I look at the two stat lines and look at the two offenses and I say to myself, I don't know, man, I think I'd rather have Carson Wentz a couple rounds later. 
You know, it's amazing if I would have told you 10 years ago that we would call a quarterback who throws for 4,000 yards underrated, you would have said, what do you mean? Only two guys doing that. (laughs) Everybody does it now in the NFL. It's sort of wild. But, you know, I don't know that he's, for me, I don't know that he's underrated or overrated. I think that where you have him here as QB 10 is pretty much where I see it. He should be a starter for you in fantasy. He's not one of the top guys, but he could end up being one of the top guys. And there really isn't a lot of downside outside of an injury for him. And it's not like they have the best backup in the world either. So um, I, I think I'm okay with that. I, I could live with with him being slightly underrated. I've always liked him. And on fantasy football draft day, after you get past Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, maybe past Drew Brees, I'm okay. I'll wait. And I'll get a guy yeah. like Wentz and be well, perfectly fine. And, and the trick is when you have a guy like Drew Brees, who's, you know, road stats the last three years are so different than what he does in the dome. We're talking about averaging 217 yards uh, outside of that dome, as opposed to almost 280 inside of it. And the touchdown numbers are so vastly different as well over the last three years. A guy like Carson Wentz, is not going to be quite the roller coaster. He's not going to have the high point games that Breeze has, and that's fair. So if you are drafting Breeze, that's something you have to understand. Maybe you do want that second quarterback for some of those other matchups and maximize the productivity. However, at the same time, when you have a guy like Wentz, I told you that floor every week is at least a touchdown. That floor every week actually is pretty high. And again, he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not He's not Patrick Mahomes. But what Carson Wentz gives you is, I think, a, a guy in his prime and who can continue to even get better And the floor is already really good every week. And I think that's something to really pay attention to. And I think he's getting uh, some undue heat with the injury bug. Right. Um, Yeah, no, I I think that analysis is fair uh, that you have on Breeze. And it's accurate if you look at the stats. I I can't dispute that. But I would also say, Joe, there are no fans in stands that Breeze is going to be at this year on the road. And I don't know if that plays into a factor at all in terms of home field advantage. It may be, and it may he may do exactly what you've seen on the road this year, but I, I'm not putting home road as much as I have in the past uh, with, with no fans being. I just can't do it. I, I just I don't see it no, as a it's huge more, it's advantage. It's the dome factor and the turf that, than maybe, anything else. I maybe, maybe, but we're going to find out. Maybe not. Maybe, oh, yeah, maybe, sure. maybe it isn't. I don't know. But I, I can tell you this. Seattle's not going to have the same home field advantage as they've had in the past, and, and they're just, you know, they have the 12th man, so... Or maybe they will. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, Okay. Uh, Leonard Fournette is the next one, Joe, you have. He's at RB16 right now. His future in Jacksonville is very unclear. 265. uh, You know, by the way, Leonard Fournette proved a lot of people wrong, I think, last year. He stayed on the field a lot and certainly caught a lot of passes, too. A lot of that, of course, because uh, Gardner Minshew was captain check down there when he, he started getting nervous a little bit, and then they took him out, they put him back in, and then he stopped throwing to uh, to Fournette as much. But, yeah, he's he's an underrated player, Joe. I agree with you. It's just I'm concerned if he gets dealt where that ends up being. And as an example, if the Patriots ended up getting him, I'd be very worried because I know they use a lot of guys. If he ended up going to a place like, let's say, Washington, I'd be encouraged because I think he could be the guy there. So I I think the destination to me is important with him. It is. Um, I'm optimistic whoever would acquire him would use him properly. And I've been one of these guys who historically has been very tough on Leonard Fournette. But it's mostly because I had to pay the price of a top eight or nine running back for him. And I wasn't willing to do that because of the injury risk. Last year, he did prove me wrong. Last year, he was terrific, and he caught more balls than anybody could have imagined. He also had uh, one of the top years in terms of yards after contact. He was also one of the guys that nobody actually got hit in the backfield more than Leonard Fournette in terms of contact in the backfield. 
and yet you still see the 1,100 rushing yards, and that is an impressive number right there. The touchdowns will marginalize. I think the receptions will come back. The touchdowns will go up, and if so, you're still looking at a really productive player who I think Jacksonville is going to burn in turn. They don't want to re-sign him. So the worst-case scenario is he stays put there, and they use him, and he's trying to get paid, and I think it's a good spot here at RB16 where you're basically getting him as an RB2. That's an RB1 talent when you look at the stats, regardless of the touchdowns, and only one fumble. Keep that in mind, too. The guy's not coughing up that football at all. Yeah, they couldn't give him away on draft night. They couldn't get a fourth-round pick for him, so they're going to have a hard time moving him. Regardless, I do think that they'll try, yes. and, and I can't see him being with the club in the uh, in the second ha- half of the season. But the other part of this is is that maybe a running back gets hurt or someone goes out and he gets to, a chance to perform. So it's a fair point, and I, and I do uh, like the analogy with him being underrated. Uh, Mark Ingram uh, this year is going into what I think is, is sort of a critical year for him because he's now at the stage now where he's played a lot of years, he's gotten a lot of carries, and you can see the end for him coming eventually. He's not going to catch a lot of passes, 26 receptions last year, uh, or excuse me, five receptions last year. That's very low. 200 rushing attempts, 1,000 yards, and he's basically an RB2 because he scores so many touchdowns, Joe. And I think that there is some concern that that would change this year with J.K. Dobbins. Uh, I do not have that concern. I don't like Dobbins as much as some others, but I I think that Ingram is going to be exactly who he was last year, and I don't think that will change. I think you could copy and paste everything you said just now and rewind to last year or a year ago and drop that in there. It sounds like the exact same conversation everyone's having about Mark Ingram, and look at the season he had. Averaging five yards carry. Oh, it's he's the same thing every year. Every year, everybody wants to get rid of him. And the thing that doesn't show up in the box score when you watch the games, and I know you're a big proponent of this, and so am I. When you watch Mark Ingram on the field and off the field with Lamar Jackson, he's nearly like a second coach on the field with him. The way they work so closely together, you can see them talking about coverages. You see them talking about things in the line of scrimmage. You can see them in the huddle together. It's very important. It's more football-oriented than is fantasy-oriented, and it does come to fruition. Yes, he's another year older. I get all that. No, he's not going to catch 50 balls. He caught 26 last year. Okay, fine, whatever. Even if he has 12 touchdowns and rushes for about 1,000 yards at RB23, basically at the fringe of RB2 into flex, especially in a standard league, you can do worse than Mark Ingram. Not every pick is sexy, and sometimes we take for granted the talent that's out there just doing it every year. Let's go on to uh, the wide receiver position at Fantasy and talk about DJ Shark of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who is... Checking in at wide receiver 21, so a rock-solid wide receiver 2 for you in fantasy. 73 receptions last year on 118 targets, over 1,000 yards, and 8 touchdowns. And his first half of the season, Joe, he really emerged as the main target and the main touchdown target for Gardner Minshew. Then, of course, middle of the season, they started messing around, putting Nick Foles in there. Numbers went down a little bit, came back at the end of the year, too. But, uh, look, the the Jaguars are a hard team to handicap because you don't know exactly what they're trying to accomplish this year. But it seems like he's pretty rock solid at that wide receiver two position again. Yeah, and wide receiver 21 is a value. You can get him as your third wide receiver if you're doing it properly. And uh, I'll say this. You look at the average, 13.8. You look at the number of targets, 118. And Jay Gruden, I think, is going to have a positive impact on this offense. He had a really good positive impact on uh, Kirk Cousins not that long ago. And I think he could do the same with Gardner Minshew. I think there's something there to work with. I don't think the ceiling is super high, but the energy level is and the commitment is. And I think DJ Shark has shown a lot. I was impressed with the route running last year. I was impressed with DJ Shark, just his athleticism, what he was able to do. And we'll see if Chenault can help take a little pressure off of him this year too. And then uh, another wide receiver you have is underrated. But, I mean, based on the numbers here, I don't know how that's possible. I mean, the guy did – 
uh, catch 72 balls last year, Joe, over 1,100 yards, six touchdowns, 15 yards per catch. I think you like him so much that you want him to be underrated, but he's not. <laughs> Everybody knows. Well, if Everybody he's so knows good, why is he going as a fringe wide receiver three? You look at those numbers and you say, man, those are some really good stats. And everybody oh, wants I to have him. Fringe. I see fringe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but but I think there are a lot of people because like the quarterback play, but the quarterback play was terrible last year. Yeah. I, I was, I did a, a, a stream with, with Howard Bender last night and, you know, and he sees that he's, he sees it the same way as you would Denver. And I don't, I, I just don't trust the coaching to open up the offense. I know they did in the last eight games, but I don't know. I, I have this this blind spot with them that well, leads me fair. to believe that they're just going to be running the ball constantly again this year and well, playing boring games. And Right. Well, here's what you could take solace in. You could take solace in the fact that he was so efficient when he got the ball. And I think that is the thing to keep in mind, too. I mean, the, his efficiency numbers of when he had the ball in the red zone, his efficiency numbers of, you know, let's also not forget the appearance of Jerry Judy in this offense. Allowing single coverage for Cortland Sutton is a great thing. And Jerry Judy is an extraordinary talent. I'm with you. I don't think that this is the Dallas Cowboys offense, but I also think that Cortland Sutton is, I think, a better talent than basically a fringe wide receiver three, which is where he is right now, right in between two and three. I think he's better than that, and I think the numbers show that. And If you can get him as your three, I think it's a really good value. Okay, and then finally we go to the Cleveland Browns and Jarvis Landry in a points-per-reception league, always very valuable, 83 last year on a ridiculous 138 targets over 1,100 yards and six touchdowns. And so you know, certainly he has been underrated based on where he's been drafted every year. And every year the and the overrated player, you know, whether it's on the Giants or on the Browns, has been Odell Beckham Jr. The question is, does Odell Beckham Jr. get the targets that Landry was getting last year and become the guy that we thought that he would be in Cleveland or no? And I don't have the answer to that. Now, I think what Jarvis Landry, you look at the ADP, you look at the volume, and in PPR, yeah, he's always going to be a guy that I think six touchdowns is about his limit. However, Stefanski really made Adam Thielen a star, and Landry is much more in that mold uh, in terms of the style of play of wide receiver uh, as opposed to Odell Beckham, who more fits that Diggs home run hitter kind of guy. And I think in terms of the offense, when you look at it, I think Landry is actually in line for a better season because also if they're going to start running a lot of play action off those two running backs and utilizing them properly, all of a sudden Jarvis Landry with some of those quick slants he's capable of running could actually see those receptions go up into the 90s. And I think that's very possible, especially if Baker Mayfield can be more efficient with the football. 138 targets last year, just 83 catches. I think you can get somewhere on 130 and 90 plus if Baker can be more efficient and make better decisions. All right, and let's close it out at tight end. Austin Hooper goes from the Falcons to the Browns, and he's basically a fringe tight end one based off the year that he had. I guess there just isn't a lot of people who feel like he can repeat the year that he had last year because if he does, he's much better than where he's being drafted now, that's for sure. And I think that there's a chance of that happening, Joe, because Baker Mayfield certainly looked to Njoku a number of times, and he looked to Ricky Seals-Jones a couple of years ago a lot. I just don't think that they had the talent that Hooper has. So he could basically, for me, have the same year he had last year. Uh, I agree. I think these numbers, and this was on a shortened season for him, he missed a few games. But even if he repeats those numbers over a full season, that's a tight end one. And he's getting so much hate. I feel like he'd suppressed his value so much where he becomes underrated and a value. He's still a good player, even if you don't like him as much as you did with the Falcons who throw the ball a ton. I think people are really underestimating Austin Hooper at this point, and it's gone too far, the hate. All right, so coming up next, it's time for us to dive back into the daily fantasy slate. We got a few day games today and some night games as well. So we'll touch on that next. We come back here on Fantasy Sports Today right here on Sports. Stay tuned. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, big hit for uh, us last night as uh, Joe takes Lucas Giolito on his DFS picks, and the guy throws a no-hitter. So you're not going to do much better than that. In fact, if you paid attention and you didn't make money, please let us know here at SportsGrid because I would learn uh, how not to follow you because that was you know, honestly the best performance of any pitcher we've seen in Major League Baseball in 2020. If you use Giolito and did not make money, did you even set another lineup yesterday? I don't know. I, I got to see that lineup. Screenshot it to me. Send it to me at Craig Mish. Uh, but listen, we're, uh, we are we got to move forward. It's a 60-game sprint. We can't look back. We got to go ahead now and make money again today. So let's turn it back over to Joe, see who he's got today for his DFS picks. Joe? All right. It's been a good couple of weeks. Let's keep it rolling here. Uh, Clayton Kershaw tonight for me is your cash game play. Uh, yeah, I know DeGrom is on the slate, but that Mets offense doesn't know that it is. So uh, give me Clayton Kershaw against the Giants, who have been good. I understand it's a road start. I get all that. But Kershaw really deserves the respect. He's pitched very well here in this run. And the Dodgers are just so deep. It's just a good combination of things there. Uh, I'm going to go with Jose Barrios against the uh, returning uh, Cleveland Indian starter, Mike Clevenger, tonight. I understand he's been working at the camp, and he's in that five innings range and whatever that is. But it's his first game back. And I think that being said, with Barrios also pitching very well in his last outing, I'm wanting to see that carryover. And this is the difference with GPP. You have to take a little bit more risk. Last night, didn't want any risk with anybody. We said play Giolito everywhere, play him in GPP, play him in tournaments, play him in, in cash. And, you know, some nights it just doesn't portend that way. But tonight, I think Barrios is a good calculated risk that's worth examining. Uh, Trevor Story tonight, swinging a hot bat. Great opportunity to pay up for him. Hopefully he goes yard against Robbie Ray. Uh, and that's going to be against Arizona. And uh, you got Marcus Simeon at 2.8, who started to come alive last night. Before that salary drums, let's see if we can get on the hot streak here with Marcus Simeon. Top of that A's order has been good. Kana's very priced well, too. So you can really get in there with Loriano, with Kana, uh, with Marcus Simeon. Stay cheap on the Oakland bats and make some money, I think, against Texas. All right, so there you go. There's the DFS slate for tonight. Keep an eye on Clayton Kershaw. Will the Dodgers be able to beat the Giants? For some reason, they haven't been able to do it recently, and they got to face yeah. them a lot down the stretch in September. That'll do it for the first hour of Fantasy Sports Today. Coming back, hour number two of our show here on FST, and we'll preview that tonight between L.A. and San Francisco, so don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.